Welcome back to Women's Wealth, The Middle Way, the show that answers your questions about work, money, and family. My name is Susan McGlory Michael, and I am the CEO and founder of Glen Eagle, a wealth management firm in New Jersey. Today, I am joined with Judge Faith S. Hochberg. Each Wednesday, we have the most amazing women on, and Judge Hochberg is an example to share their journey and careers and the number of obstacles that we as women often have to overcome, such as stereotypes or judgments or expectations made by others, or just being a minority in an office dominated by men. But working while also being a mother, having a career as a woman, can require a lot of persistence and courage, energy, drive, and a passion. Today, I would love to welcome Judge Hoshberg. Thank you. My pleasure to be here. You know, I think before we even begin, if you would just help give us just a little bit of overview. You have done so much in your career. You have given back service to our nation and the state of New Jersey, and I would love if you would just share with our listeners so they get a feel before we just start a conversation about what it is to be a woman in that field. First, let me thank you for those kind words. You know, it makes me feel really good for someone to acknowledge service for women in this country. And that is something that's been a very important part of my career, as you can probably tell looking at my resume. So I started my career, like many others, in the private practice of law. I was fortunate enough to be admitted to Harvard Law School way back when women were fewer than 10% of the class. And after law school, I clerked for a wonderful federal judge on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, who really was a hero to me in the civil rights movement. After that, I worked for a short period of time as the legal assistant to the chairman of the SEC, and then I really started learning how to be a true courtroom lawyer as a young associate at a major Boston firm. And after five years, I was told that I was slated to be a partner in the litigation department. I would have been the first female partner in litigation in that firm, but my husband found a great job opportunity, and we moved to New Jersey. So that's how I ended up in your garden state. Uh, <laughs> after I got to New Jersey, <laughs> I know, quite a route, right? And, and quite a story there too, but I won't dwell on that. So I started briefly in law, but in a, in a law firm, but quickly realized that many felt that the preeminent law firm in the District of New Jersey was actually the United States Attorney's Office. So I went there and learned after seven years of complex civil litigation, I learned criminal law from the ground up. I argued my first Third Circuit appeal less than a week after getting to the U.S. Attorney's Office. That was, that was quite a challenge, I can assure you, because I had never before even opened the federal rules of criminal procedure, and it was a procedural issue. But trial by fire has always been my favorite way. After a year in the appellate section, I asked to go back to trial work, because I had an infant when I started, and by then he was about one and a half. And so I started doing trial cases of complex frauds and really enjoyed that. But that was at an era when really your career was considered at its pinnacle three to four years after you got to the U.S. Attorney's Office. And so I left at that time and was headed into private practice and did a short stint with a boutique firm in New Jersey. But then I got a call from a partner in a Washington, D.C. law firm who had been tapped to head up the cleanup of the savings and loan disaster of the 1989 to the early 1990s. And he asked me if I would head enforcement, the enforcement division of this agency in D.C. 
I turned him down because I didn't think my kids were old enough to go to D.C. at that time. So he called back again after two weeks and said, how about if I ran enforcement for the eastern third of the country from the New York office, which was being located right at Exchange Place in Jersey City, so I wouldn't even have to cross the river. And I said, sure. And again, I took on a challenge that I had never done before, but those are my favorite ones. So I was in banking, never having done banking before, and really using the the intersection of my civil career experience in law and my criminal experience in law to make decisions about gradations of wrongdoing in that crisis and help bring it to an end quickly, which we did. It was also my first management job, by the way. I had a team of about 20 people. So I learned management by fire, and it was my first knowledge that I'm not typical. I originally used to manage by assuming that everyone thought the way I did, and I must say I learned that they don't. So I was really a novice manager at that time, um, but really enjoyed learning. As, uh, As that was winding down, I was ready to go back into private practice. Then I got a call from... Senator Lloyd Benson's office in Washington. He had just become the Secretary of the United States Treasury under President Bill Clinton, and they asked me to interview for the job of Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Treasury for law enforcement, which included supervision of the Secret Service, the United States Customs Service, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, as well as the Bank Secrecy Act and the Office of Foreign Assets Control. So it involved a lot that which I was already familiar with from my career in law enforcement and a lot that I didn't know yet, which, of course, is the part that excites me. So I said yes, and at that point I was willing to move the family to Washington, and we did. And then, I think as I've indicated perhaps before, I did that, and then I got another call from the senator uh, from New Jersey, Senator Bill Bradley, who some of your listeners may recollect. He was my hero as a statesman, frankly, and I'm sad that he's no longer in the Senate. I thought he really did a service to the United States and the people of New Jersey. And he interviewed me without me even applying and asked me if I wanted to be the United States attorney. And nothing made me happier than that uh, because it was an office I already loved, having been an assistant United States attorney. So I went back to New Jersey with my younger child, left my older child in D.C. with my husband, for a better part of a year, uh, and started that really exciting lawyer-lawyer job. I mean, it is the job that every lawyer who's a litigator wants, and it's a wonderful job. It's extraordinary in many ways. And I did that for six years, which brings us almost to the present chapter, and then I was tapped to be a federal judge, and I did that for a little over 15 years. I left the federal bench when I became retirement eligible in 2015, And I founded my own mediation, arbitration, and litigation consulting firm, which is what I do now, which is incredibly busy. I am the least retired, retired person you could ever meet, probably doing (laughs) twice or three times the number of hours I logged when I was working full-time. But enjoying being an entrepreneur for the first time in my life starting at age 65. You know, I'm in awe of listening to all that you've accomplished, and I can feel the head-shaking of women out there because I think the one thing that was consistent in every change was jumping in the water 
and just taking on the unknown. It's such an inspiring message for women that are listening that, you know, when you started at Harvard Law School, that was jumping in the water way back when. And that was probably the beginning of so many advancements within your career because women didn't go. I know I have a mother-in-law who's 83 years old and is a Stanford University grad. And when she tells that story of going from Upper Peninsula, Michigan, out to Stanford as a woman, it's, you know, these are the women we need to look at and almost thank for what they did and, and began. But all that you have done, can you just give us a little bit about how do you go about raising a, a daughter or a son while working and balancing that work and family through that career? Because there were so many amazing opportunities. And the one thing that we heard was, I wasn't ready to go to Washington because of my children. And yet you figured out how your children could be empowered. So it wasn't a separation. It, it sounds to, to the listeners, I think, and to myself, that you really blended your career with your children and, and made it almost an empowering experience for you all as a family. Can you share a little bit about that, correct? Sure, although first let me say that my daughter, I'm sure, would disagree with the kind words you're saying. Well, that's so funny because I always say I had four children, and and I always say my my firm grew as my children grew, but let's not interview them because I think we did a great job. And then my husband and I say when they sit around our table – and tell stories. They're they're very funny stories, but it does make us sound dysfunctional. So <laughs> we laugh about oh, that. Oh, absolutely. Oh my God, <laughs> my daughter is absolutely. I mean, she she's a phenomenal success in her own right. But she's avowedly not hired a nanny, which I cannot believe how much work she does. I mean, she's an extraordinary senior v, executive vice president and general counsel of the New York Stock Exchange Bank Holding Company at the ripe old age of 38. She just turned 38. She started that job at 35, which is daunting in itself, and she doesn't even have a nanny. I had nannies all the way through. Yeah. Um, but she's made a decision not to have one, in part, I'm sure, reaction formation, to have been raised in a home where there was always someone present who wasn't actually a blood member of the family. Some were great, some not so much, and she's doing it another way and more power to her. I must say also that the women's movement has created much better childcare options than existed when I was young so that she was able to put her kids into a daycare program from three months of age that really was the equivalent of preschool from birth. It was extraordinary. And also, let me do a shout-out to your 83-year-old mother-in-law. First of all, she must be one extraordinary woman to have graduated Stanford. We Secondly, think she is. she's a youper. <laughs> we think she uh, is. And, yeah. and I know youpers. They are women of fortitude. I had a law clerk, one of my favorite law clerks was married to a youper, and he had the greatest stories about going to the Upper Peninsula uh, and meeting her family and, and the kind of resilience and courage that those youper women have. So, and I, I say youper, I hope the, the listeners understand, it stands for Upper Peninsula, so it's UP, so they call themselves youpers. They sure do, and they're very proud of it, they're very, very proud of their heritage. Yes, indeed, <laughs> indeed, indeed. So let's see. What was your question? I know I didn't answer. No, no. Just I think you answered it. And when you when I I love your your kind of analogy that the way it was done before doesn't have to be the way it's done now. You know, I have a 
a daughter who's planning on getting married has a very powerful career, and, and I know that she wants to figure out how to do that, and probably not the same way I did it. And I think that's the beauty. When we talk about this same mother-in-law, she always says the gift of knowing you're a good parent is when all your children are so diverse and different, you think that's great, I did a great job in letting them be who they are. And I think that that's what happens. They look and they say, is there a better way to do this? And I think that's growth in our country. But what advice would you give other any women in the audience members who are out there who are like are afraid to be assertive? You were at times I could hear that you had to kind of overcome maybe a little doubt and, and be a little more assertive to make a voice and, and be heard and, and to jump in the water and as, as a result I think it's a gift for the women behind you who are now blazing the trail, even if it is in a different way. What advice would you give to our members who maybe are a little hesitant to, to jump in that water? That's a great question, and I've talked about that with other senior women in, in my profession. In fact, a group of us talked about it about a month or two ago, myself, somebody a few years younger, and somebody in her late 40s, about what it is and how do you, how do you teach grit and determination to overcome your self-doubts and jump in. There's this, someone referred to it, not me, I didn't coin this expression, as the inner voice of sabotage. And to ignore that sabotaging inner voice and go for it. Because I can assure them that the men don't have that voice and they go for it. They often just are raised to believe they can do anything. And so they'll think they're qualified for a job that a more qualified woman thinks she's unqualified for. So expel those doubts. Say yes to the opportunities that present themselves. Embrace them. And then take a deep breath and figure out how to excel at them. I just say, jump in. I, I don't know how to teach it. I wish I did. I don't. For some reason, I seem to have it in an oversupply. Sure. <laughs> well, you know Why? what? But, but, but the gift you're bringing is such a great role model. And, and I have to tell you, you know, even on my end, often I deal with a lot of women who own very successful businesses. And when the businesses are evaluated, it's very interesting the professionals tell us that the men that own businesses often say, I'm worth more than that. I, I, I have to be worth more than that. I know I'm worth more than that. And the women often say to them, are you sure? Did, are you sure you did it right? I'm not sure I'm worth that. <laughs> so I think it's it's must be instinct that we have to overcome and and we have to work at saying to ourselves, no, I am worth that. I am. I think we, we, we tend to wait to be noticed versus being proactive in I'm here, and I, and I am a voice to be heard. Well, I think we have to get over the desire to be loved and to be liked and to be respected instead because for whatever reason, we can't change the fact yet that the same attributes in a woman as a man will get negative connotations. Someone will call you tough. I remember someone interviewed me shortly after I became U.S. attorney and said, what do you say about the fact that some people say you have a prosecutorial personality? And I thought, you know, the only thing I could do, and I did, was in that split second I had to answer, smile and say, if what you mean by prosecutorial personality is digging in, finding the facts, and making a fair and just conclusion about whom to prosecute, sure, I have a prosecutorial personality. So I changed the definition, although I know he came at it, with a bit of a nastiness. Yeah. Um, but you have to just get beyond it because if you accept that, then they're going to define you. And the same attributes that make a man powerful make a woman tough. 
But so what? The choice is to shrink or to accept that appellation. I don't think we have that choice. So I, I, I can't agree with you more, and I, I think the one gift you brought today is you took upon yourself the desire and the courage and also having a passion to give back, and as a result, you jumped in the water. You did say, I'm, I'm going to do this, and I, I think that for the women listening today, it's not what career or what path they're taking, but it's the approach that they take. And so thank you so much today for defining for us uh, what true success is. We really appreciate your being with us today. Well, thank you. My pleasure. And, you know, all I would say is quell that inner voice, jump in and make it go, and don't think it's going to be without the adrenaline surge of nervousness. It does come with that. But everybody has that, and it goes away in a short period of time. And you can conquer things. And if you don't accept a challenge or you don't apply for a challenge, you have essentially negated yourself. You have turned yourself down. Don't protect your ego. If someone wants to turn you down, so be it. It's their problem. But at least apply because you might be surprised and actually get it. And then you'll have stepped forward and done something. And I will say that the daughters of women with careers themselves embrace careers and they may do it differently, but they do a fabulous job. I can't agree more, and thank you, Judge Hushford, for being with us today and for your transparency and your honesty. You are such an empowerment to women who are listening. And thank you to our listeners today for tuning into our episodes of Women's Wealth, The Middle Way. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or podcast app and follow us on SouthCloud, Podbean, and womensradio.com for new episodes every other Wednesday. See you in two weeks.